Okay. So every time I want to start without prayer, it just doesn't work. Okay. So thank you, Father God, for your word. I thank you, Lord. Let this be the word that you have ordained to release. I thank you, Father, that whoever needs to hear it will hear it. And may they receive it in the good soil of the hearts, that it may grow deep roots, grow tall and bear much fruit. So I thank you, Father God, that your word is the bread of life to us and that you give us living waters. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will bring your words to life. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll help us live it and not just hear it. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that your anointing is upon this and that you'll touch every person that listens to it. May it be exactly what they need it, Lord, and may it empower them to do exactly what you desire for them to do, whatever your will is over their life, that they may receive the power, the love, the grace, and mercy for it, and the desire for it. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. I was meditating on Numbers 11 yesterday, and I think the key point is to be careful who you surround yourself with, and if you are a leader, to make sure that you're not also then influenced by the people you are shepherding, I guess, or overseeing, overseeing or currently stewarding according to whoever and however many God has given you. But, okay. So I thought it was interesting. Numbers 11, chapter 11, is about the Israelites complaining for not having any meat, for not any for not having any meat. They were already complaining before that. Like in verse 1, it says, Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. And I, I'm i going to not sniffle as much. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, it's just a habit, and I need to breathe. So anyway, um, where was I? Oh, verse one. So God is hearing them. And I wanted to see like, what was the difference between Moses and the Israelites? And there's honestly not much except that Moses is having intimacy with God, like a closer relationship with God versus the Israelites who cannot go near God and approach him. So other than the obvious things that are already written in the word, I'm just going to share just some revelations that I had received. So I'm not going to go into detail about like how we will remember our past and see that it was better than what it is now, like how far God has brought us, which is not true. We just, when we are ungrateful or when we compare or when we're not satisfied, that's when we forget that what God has done so far in our lives and how far he brought us is actually better than what it was before, before having closer relationship with him or before when you were in the world and living as an unbeliever, you know? So they're talking about all the food and everything. And Moses, he heard the people weeping through their door. The anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. This is the first time. Moses also was displeased. And the danger of complaining is that even from my own personal life, I can see that if 
I start or another person starts, it influences you. It seeps in. And so if you're not vigilant about praying before or after conversations with anyone, um, sometimes I even I forget and then I notice, oh, okay, so I was influenced in this way or I received that kind of seed without even knowing. Because I say seed because it's coming out of our hearts, right? So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that's what I mean. And before you know it, the people that you are around or what you listen to, it's not even what you're around, it's what you listen to will enter into your heart. And it's already open because it's something you agree with and you start to live out what you hear. You cannot be around the same circle of people living a different life than you and you not be influenced in some way. Unless you're being really strengthened by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and this is an assignment, and you have avenues in which you are being filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can influence them. But if you are not, and it's sometimes like a middle ground for you, it's safe not to be in it at all. Um, and I pray that God gives you the wisdom and discernment to know how to space yourself, distance yourself, and or just pray that God removes the people in your life that are not helping you with your walk, helping you with your growth. That doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means you desire to grow with God, and sometimes that requires cutting off of some things and some people um, or you going into the things of God in a deeper way and guarding your heart in greater measure so to each its own and whatever God has given you the grace for but let's not use that as an excuse like I'm going to stick around the same people because I love them meanwhile it's actually in your heart that there is a part of your heart that is enjoying the sin, that is enjoying the kind of company you are around and you think you're better, but actually you're not because you desire the same thing. So let's not cover that. Let's not cover that up. Um, let's just be more honest with God. Um, I like what Moses says because he's he has now received the groaning and the complaints from Israelites. Like he sees it, but what I mean by receive is that it in, impacted him that he goes to the Lord and says, why have you afflicted your servant? And then he starts complaining. So I know everybody's Bible is different, but in the New King James Version that I have, um, there are different sections of every chapter and they have a sort of subtitle. And it's interesting to me that the subtitle for this portion is the people complain. And it doesn't stop at the Israelites complaining, but it, it encapsulates all of what Moses says to God as well. So Moses is not an exception to this complaint. His, his complaint is different. It looks different, but by nature, it is the same thing. So then what is the difference? You know, he's telling God, he says, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? Did you have laid the burden of all these people upon me? And he's saying, like, this is just too much for me to bear. Like, why is it that this is what I have to do? This is the type of people. This is, you know, and he says, did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. 
I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. So I don't think it's like drastic. It's it's still a complaint. You know, it's still a complaint. It's still like a grudge. It's still like um, anguish that he's presenting to God. And some people might say, how dare you say that he's complaining um, when it is justified? Well, every person will justify their complaint. I have and others have. So I... No comment. No comment. If that's something you're going to come at me, no comment. Um, so he says that to God. And I think the difference that I notice here is that... So Moses is bringing a complaint. And God hears the Israelites. What is the difference? Is that Moses has intimacy with God. He's able to come to God directly. And he's not afraid. He's not afraid to do that. So Moses has a revelation of the goodness and the mercy and the compassion of God. Because every time he's come to him, the Israelites could have very well been smitten, all of them, to smithereens in one day. Not 40 years, one day. But he knows that every time he comes to God, he will listen. And it's that relationship that they have. Because um, God could have easily knocked down Moses. Yes, they have intimacy, but he's still not Jesus. He still doesn't have this righteous blood. Like he's not God himself. So he's not the savior, right? So he can also easily be eliminated. But the reason he doesn't is because they have history together. They, they talk to each other. God talks to him face to face. And so what is my point? My point is, instead of being like the Israelites who complain as if God is not listening, almost like I'm sitting here and there's another person, right? Let's say I have an issue with this person. They're right here, but I deliberately am talking to another person saying, yeah, you know, a is like this and I just can't stand it. And why can't A just be this other way? And why did A do this? And why did A say this? Can you believe that? Oh, yeah, my goodness. You know, that's a little exaggerated. But an A is right here. Right here. Right? So to God, I imagine it's very... Okay, this is not an absolute statement. Because I wouldn't know exactly how God felt or how it was perceived. But what I'm sensing here is that he's like, you talk as if I am not there. You talk as if I am not listening. And you could say, Jane, okay, then maybe they should go to God and say, actually, I think even if they couldn't go as close as to the mountain, as close as to the tabernacle, like the temple, if they spoke to God directly and brought their complaints in that way, God would have responded. And I don't think it, the response would be as brutal and as scary. Um, yeah. So God listens to both. Very gracious, very kind. He doesn't have to, but he does because he is love. And that's all I can say. So he says, 
He gives Moses instructions, gather to me, this is verse 16, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle meeting and they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall be the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And then, so God is clearly peeved by what the Israelites are saying. And he's saying, how can you forget what I have done for you? And how can you say that you question if, why you ever came out of Egypt? Okay. And then, so Moses is still frustrated and he's carrying this huge burden and the complaining is not helping. So he's not in a good place either. And now he's also complaining. And you can tell because so far God has pretty much done everything by himself. He's done everything according to what he has spoken. And Moses in verse 21, he says, And Moses said, The people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks, this is verse 22, Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And so he's quest questioning how God is going to bring it because he's frustrated, right? And he just cannot imagine. So he's not just addressing the Israelites who have complained and forgotten, but he's also talking to Moses. He's also talking to Moses. And here, when God spoke to him and said, I will give them meat. He could have just taken his word as it is, but because of where he's at and the help that he needs, he's not hearing, he's not understanding, you know? And so you hear God also getting frustrated or not frustrated. I would say frustrated. I'm just going to say it. 23. And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Yep. So Moses goes out and he tells the people exactly what God says. And he gathers the people. Um, there's another point that I wanted to make, which is, it says that he gathered the 70 elders and verse 25, the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders and it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men, verse 26, had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. I don't know. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle yet that prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran, verse 27, and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, verse 28, the son of Nun, Moses's assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And when I read verse 28, 
it sounded the same or similar to when Peter. Okay, wait, before I go into that, um, sorry, when Moses is responding to God, and he's saying, "Okay, there are six hundred thousand men. How are you going to provide?" So the reason why I say that he, Moses is being frustrated is because if he wasn't, his response would have been something like Mary's when Holy Spirit visited Mary and told her, "You're gonna." Give birth to the savior. She doesn't question how it. She doesn't like ask in detail. Like, are you going to do it like this or that? She just says, "How will it be done?" He said, "By the spirit." And she said, "May it be done unto me." Right, but that's not Moses's response. That's not. Um, he's trying to figure out, like, because he's frustrated. How can we do it? How are you going to do it? So he's thinking because he's held the burden on his shoulders for too long by himself that. He also thinks that there's something that he needs to do here, some kind of other instruction, and God is like, "You are a representation of me. Like you meet the people, but you are not me, and I will do what I have spoken." So it's a it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder. Um, because I think sometimes we as people also want to help God and ask Him, give Him suggestions. I know I do. But then God, when He repeats a word and says, "I will do it," He will do it. There's nothing. There's really nothing for you to do except for what you have been doing. And if there is something you want to ask God, what should I be doing? Ask Him what you can do and what He wants you to do. Not not how you can help Him do what He's trying to do. Because there's still something that you can do right now that's actually better for your heart, better for your soul, better for the people in your life. And God will give you that instruction. Um. So, the spirit is upon them, and Joshua runs and says, "Forbid them." And that sounds very similar to when Peter, after he hears Jesus say, "Hey, I'm gonna be crucified by my own people. I have to die, and I'm gonna resurrect." And Peter says, "No, that shall never happen to you." And it's the same thing because. In verse twenty nine, then Moses said to them, "Are you ze- zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them." So he's saying, "Are you really jealous for my sake?" And I think this is a very good example of, even from my experience, what it looks like when we start to follow man, even if that person is anointed and appointed and ordained and specified and. I don't know whatever other words you want to put a star upon by God, like whatever it is, whatever mark that they have that God has put. If we don't focus on God, we focus on man and how to protect that. Almost like it, it's basically it is for flesh and it is for the spirit of man.、Um, And I'm not saying that Moses is in the wrong because he does correct him. So that's that's not the point. What I'm saying is that for us, being careful of how we follow. So I think it's great that God brings mentors and mentees and、um, people in our life that have walked farther that can be accountable,、uh, keep us accountable, and we can learn from. Right. So that's great. But to always keep our focus on God still. And that's not to mean to be rebellious, not at all. No, just to keep the focus on God, and not on the person. Because once we 
continue to just submit to the person. That person is not just not only not perfect, but it becomes a man's system instead. The spirit of man, the fear of man starts to enter in and it becomes exclusive. And when Jesus rebukes Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man, right? So why he says that is because when you are working for someone or you are following somebody, it's a tendency to, and then, God, I pray that there are no more interruptions or if there is better time and place to do this then let me do it then. Otherwise, I'm just going to release it as it is right now. Um, in Jesus' name, come against all distractions. In Jesus' mighty name. Okay. So what happens is that we start to follow man. And the thing is, when we start to follow man, we also think exclusively, like, how can we glorify ourselves? How can we glorify this mission? I belong to this organization. I belong to this denomination. I belong to this sect. And then we start to raise up ourselves. And if you're, you're asking me, how can you know that? It's, he says, are you really jealous for my sake? Why is Joshua so protective when there is two others prophesying in the camp? You know, then he's saying, no, it should just only be you, Moses. It's only you. And I serve you. And therefore, one day, if it ever comes down to that, then I will be one of the honored men. And like, this is a pattern that is seen throughout the entire scripture, even with David, when he's in the caves with these men, the men are saying, let's kill Saul, you know, and he did so much to you against you. And like, you know, you're the king, you're the king, you're the king, you should be raised up, you should be raised up. And same with Peter, when he tells it to Jesus, you know, that shall not happen to you. Why? Because he's supposed to be the king of the Jews. So they want the reign under from the Romans, right? They want the liberation, they want their finances back, they want their rights back and all this stuff. But God, that's not for God. That's for man and for raising up the things of man, raising up organizations or like raising up this circle, not even organization, like the circle that you are around. I think it's great to protect it and guard it, but it has to have the right heart. So it says, Moses' heart, he says, oh, that all the people were prophets. Meaning, I like that part of his heart because he's saying, if only everyone had this intimacy, this closeness with God and not just me, if they had the spirit of God, how great would it be? Because he's not trying to keep it to himself and he knows how good God is. Something, okay, knowing God, his goodness is something that you want to spread. You want everybody to experience that kind of relationship. But if you're only going by power, then you just only want the power yourself. So to you, it may not be, if you're focusing on power and it's exclusively between you and God and you all these kept secrets and nothing else and you don't want to share, then I would reassess. Perhaps it's not necessarily a relationship out of love and his goodness and his faithfulness, um, but possibly it's a relationship just for power, just for recognition accolades so anyway that's that's that part and then he speaks that and i'm also very encouraged 
by verse 26 when the spirit comes upon Eldad and Medad because God knew who was appointed as the elder. They were on the list. They just couldn't make it. And that shows me that they they must have tried to make it, but they couldn't for whatever reason, whether they had to take care of something in the house or something would happen or whatever it is, you know? Because at this time, God is only honoring those who really honor him. And they don't have as much grace as we do now under the blood of Jesus, under the resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? So I love that if your heart is in the right place, God knows who you are. God knows where you are. And you're not missing out. So let's say you have tried to get somewhere that you felt that you were called to go. And it just didn't work out. God is not limited that his spirit cannot still be poured out unto you wherever you are. And it's not about that place that you're trying to get to. Yes, sometimes it is. Sometimes it really is. There's a breakthrough. There's an obedient act that needs to happen in order for his blessings and greater relationship with God to take place. I agree. I agree. But for whatever reason, if it didn't come to pass, God is not limited and he is not blind that he does not know where you are and his heart has not stopped that it is not disconnected from you, now disconnected from you and he cannot find you right so he'll still pour out what you need and revival is going to take place in different places and god will do that by his spirit um and so god he sends out the wind and he brings all this quail which i imagine nobody even thought could ever happen so he leaves them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on both sides right it's so interesting to me like this is happening like on the outskirts almost again and before that the, the people are set on fire and burned on the outskirts so anyway so all the people they stay up, verse 32, and the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day, and gathered their quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. And they are really gorging themselves, like they're about to, you know. And I think God is angry because there is not an ounce of gratitude. There's not, he's and he's not doing it to look for recognition, to look for, you're not grateful, therefore I'm going to take it from you, or I'm going to take your life. It's more because that image, that image of just receiving what you have craved and you gorging on it is self-indulgence. That's not the image of God. And anything that is not like God like in his perfect sense, you know, anything that is any part of us that doesn't resemble him quite yet is still like a disgust. And it needs to, it needs to have refining and purification. We need to have the refining, the purification, the love of God to remove those things. Because here, it's not love of God, it's the love of quail. It is the love of quail and the giving over to their cravings and desire. And again, I think this lends to who you are around because it influences. So I notice like if I'm around people who are more focused on carnal things, then the carnal interests seep into my heart. 
and my desire for them for those things awaken but right now we're in such a crucial time where we should be drawing closer to god more than ever where there is still grace where he can still be found that we may seek him and find him and all that other carnal things it's not bad it's not wicked okay your life is not going to end because you want a shiny pretty water bottle like it's that's not the thing it's more just losing the focus but also something it feels almost like clutter it really feels like clutter and i know i also go back and forth in those things so to me it feels like clutter when i read the word everything is cleansed a lot of it is purified and so even as i read this word and as i share with you i pray that god does a cleansing in your life and in your heart and that the word of god the purification the refining power of the holy spirit overtakes your life and makes you pure makes your heart pure again makes your desires pure that it removes all fleshly cravings all fleshly desires in both you and i and that his love takes over and that his fire comes upon us to burn everything away that we may not perish but the things that were built in our hearts that were not built on the rock may perish but our souls may be saved in jesus name amen so in verse 33, but while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatapha. I'm not going to do this justice. I'm so sorry. Because they were there, they buried the people who had yielded to craving. And so I think that is a great example of of us actually destroying ourselves by yielding to those cravings, by yielding to sinful desires, by yielding to anything that is basically not God, like hmm, not becoming an idol in our lives. And it's actually detrimental. It's not detrimental because God will bring out judgment and fire and a plague and all these things. Um, which he very well can do um, if we are not heeding. Yeah. But it's that it will already destroy us. It already has, if it has taken more room in your heart than God has. And it will destroy you because now it has you. It has the power to control you. And you think, no, it doesn't have the power to control me. I have the power. I have the willpower to spend what I want and what I don't want on it. It doesn't have any control over me. I would beg to differ if you're thinking about a night and day and you're slowly starting to pour more of your heart's money and more of your resources into it. It has more control than you think. Um, I'm just saying, I'm just saying with gentleness and love and care as much as I can. Um, but I'm realizing and recognizing that we have to be honest with ourselves and not just be honest with ourselves, but be honest with God. And the point is not just for us to be honest so that we can develop greater self-awareness and like, uh, do a whole psychological flip and acrobatic whatever. But the point of being honest with God is that you come to a place of repentance, that you are honest with him to say, Hey, I want this more than I want you right now. And I'm going to acknowledge that. I ask for your forgiveness, that I have this idol. Remove my desire for this idol. 
and take your rightful place in my heart. See, that's the kind of honesty I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the kind of honesty where you discover that this is a behavioral thing from 10 years ago. And even if that was to be revealed to you, the whole point of God revealing that, it's not so you sit there and like, wow, I didn't know that about me. Wow. Or like, um, that's a great revelation of the psychological effect. Like, stop. Anything that God brings up to you, it has to do with your heart. And anything he reveals about your heart is so that you can give it to him. And the way that you invite him is humility. The way you invite him is by giving it to God, being honest about it, giving that over. And then now he can work in your heart, remove it, and put what is rightfully belonging there, which is more love of God, more more purity, more discernment, more... I don't know, less shenanigans and more honesty and more real love towards other people. So anyway, God bless you. God keep you. Make his face make his face shine upon you. Oh God. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And also, God, I pray that for those who are willing, for those who are yielded, that they may open their hearts to you, that you will search out our hearts, search out my heart, search out our hearts, and remove everything that is not of you. And that is not just because this is perfect Christianese, but really because we desire for more of you in our hearts. And we don't want to give ourselves to these cravings. I don't care if it comes day and night, that Father God, you watch me day and night more than these cravings do. So in Jesus' name, I pull it out from all of our hearts in Jesus mighty name. I thank you Lord that you're putting seeds of love, peace, truth and truth, love, joy, justice in our hearts that we may learn to love you with all our heart, mind, body and soul and to love our neighbors as ourselves and to receive more of it and give it out without holding back. You said to not withhold good. So may we not do that and forgive us for allowing those things to take place in our hearts. And forgive us for any of our complaints. Remove the root. I curse any root of complaints and bitterness within us right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pull it out in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that we will only have good seeds in the good soul of our heart. And our foundation will be built on the rock that is Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>